morning. Awesome. Um, for, for those of you guys who don't know me, my name is A.D. Daisley. I'm one of the elders here at Crosspoint. <clears throat> and if you've been with us for um, any amount of time, you've known that this uh, summer we've kind of been taking a, a walk through the Psalms, uh, focusing on a different Psalm for each, um, uh, for each week. Sorry, kids, you are dismissed. <laughs> How can I forget the kids? Can't forget about the kids. Um, Kids want to stay here? They can stay here too. That's, that's fine. We're, we're cool with that. Oh, okay. All right. Aaron. <laughs> um, so we'll be continuing in the Psalms today. Uh, before we actually read uh, the passage that we'll be in today, um, I want you guys to continue to pray for the McKenzie family. For Steve, he's been out of town for the past couple weeks. And uh, the family's just going through a lot. Um, they've had wave after wave that's hit the family. So I want you to pray for them as we also, um, you know, pray for what God is doing in this church, that you uh, would pray that God would be with them and the family um, as they're going through a very rough season right now. Um, so today we'll be in Psalm chapter 23, and uh, a very popular psalm, a very famous uh, probably the most famous of the, of the Psalms, will be uh, focusing on these six verses. And so if you'll just join with me by standing and we'll read these six verses in Psalm chapter 23, and we will get into our sermon for today. Psalm 23, and it reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is no place like your house. And I pray that in this moment, as we collectively as a body listen for your voice, Lord God, that you would meet us here. All of us have something different that we're bringing in today. Meet us here in your house. And we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We've been going through the Psalms, and as has been emphasized week over week over week and week after week, that there are many different types of Psalms. There are Psalms of grief. There are Psalms of thanksgiving. There are Psalms of complaining. There are Psalms of celebration. There are Psalms of lament. There are Psalms of joy. It just covers the whole gamut. The Psalms cover the range of the human expression and the emotions in response to life. 
In essence, the Psalms is a diary of the human experience. It's raw. The Psalms lay it out. It's unfiltered. It's raw. It's authentic. And Psalm 23 is no different. One of the things that really drew my attention in this psalm is that it highlights the basic human struggle that we have, and that is that of dependence. We are people that love independence. We love our freedom. Don't tell me what to do. I want to control my own life. I want to have things arranged so that I'm comfortable as possible. I want life to operate based on how I design it to be. Sometimes life throws us curveballs, and we don't like when these things happen that kind of upset the way that we do things. We want things our way. In 1999, I left the state of Georgia, where I grew up, and I had bright hopes for my future and pictured in my mind what my life would have looked like when I came to Florida. And besides the brutal summers, uh, three years later, I ended up in one of the most darkest places of my life because life did not go as I expected it to go. Life can get very uncomfortable, and it's in the midst of this discomfort that we begin to seize control. We try to grab as much of life as is possible so that things could get back on track and that life can go in a way that we desire for it to go. And in so doing, sometimes what we can do is we begin to assume the responsibilities of a shepherd. We want to shepherd our own lives. And so in Psalm chapter 23... We have a different picture. David gives us a different picture, and it stands in contradistinction to the self-imposed shepherding that we try to do in our own lives. And it makes us ask the question, do we trust God with our lives? Do we trust him? It's a pretty reasonable question. Do you trust God? Do we trust God with our lives? And so it gives us a picture of what it looks like to be in a relationship with God where he functions as shepherd. And if there's one statement that this particular psalm is making, it's simply it's making the proclamation that God is trustworthy, that God is trustworthy. It screams that I make all the provisions for your benefit even when you go astray. And so David taps into his experience because, of course, he's, he's a shepherd and he spent a lot of time around sheep, and so he describes his relationship with God as being similar to what he's experienced as being a shepherd over sheep himself. And sometimes God gives us these natural things that we encounter in life to point to greater spiritual truths, to draw our attention to greater spiritual truths. And so in these six verses, there are six statements that I see that David is making regarding God being his shepherd And I'd like you to follow along with me as we look at these six verses and the six points that we have for today. First point is in verse one. This will be the first slide. First statement is, you are trustworthy and you satisfy my longing for life in an eternal source. You are trustworthy and you satisfy my longing in an eternal source. Verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does it mean? What are the characteristics of this shepherd? I have a couple verses listed, and I'll only be reading these verses. I wouldn't stay too long in each one of those verses. 
is, first of all, the shepherd leads. Psalm chapter 78, verse 52 says, he led them out, his people, like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Okay? Strange environment. He leads them. He goes before them. Number two, Psalm chapter 78, verse 53, safety. He provides safety for his sheep. And it says, he led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. He drove out the nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. So he guided them in safety. It's one thing to get somebody there, but to do it safely is, a, is, a, is another issue, right? Uh, my wife talks about this all the time, the, the way that I drive. You know, I'm very efficient, and um, I get us there a lot quicker, but you might have a heart attack on the way there, but, you know, at least you get there, right? So he guides them safety, safe, to safety, and he does it safely. Number three, he delivers, Psalm chapter 78, verse 54, and he brought them to his holy land, to the mount which his right hand had won. And so there's a specific place where he gets you from. He takes you from one place and he gets you there. He does it safe, safely. He delivers. Number four, he's attentive. He's attentive to the sheep. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. He's attentive and he's sensitive to the needs of the flock. Next point, he also searches for his sheep. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 11 and, uh, 11 and 12. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from the places where they have been scattered on a dark day of clouds and thick darkness. He searches in the midst of the darkness, he searches for his sheep. He also feeds his sheep. Next point. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 14. It says, I will feed them with good pasture, not just any pasture, but with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture, they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. He feeds his sheep. He also makes sure that they get rest. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 15. I myself will be shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. He makes sure you get rest. And finally, he heals and he restores. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 16. It's, Seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. He heals and he restores his sheep. So all included in the statement of the Lord is my shepherd is an affirmation that God is trustworthy, that God has got it all covered. He undertakes ownership. He assumes all responsibility. He takes the initiative. Everything is taken care of because he functions as the shepherd. Now, what this should do in the heart of the sheep or the recipient should be a Godward trust and a Godward confidence that says, I shall not want. That there is nothing that I have that I'm lacking because he's my shepherd. It doesn't mean that everything is going to go according to your preferences, but it does mean that there should be a felt satisfaction with what God has provided. 
And when we are truly in that place of experiencing this sense of God being shepherd, it gives us a certain freedom to actually rest. Restlessness comes when we're consumed with undertaking responsibilities that weren't designed for us to undertake. And so the first statement that David is making about God as shepherd is that you are trustworthy and you satisfy my deepest longing for life in an eternal source. Point number two, next slide. The shepherd knows my needs better than I do. The shepherd knows my needs better than I do. Verse two says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. I've never been much of a person for naps at all. I, I, I just don't like them. Every time I've fallen asleep even in the middle of the day, um, feel disoriented. I just don't feel like myself, right? But in the last couple of years, a strange phenomenon has taken place in my body, and I don't know what's going on. And some of y'all may know what I'm talking about, right? If I, <laughs> if I sit down for more than about 15 minutes, I'm gone. Something just overcomes my body and... You know, my, my, my wife will be, like, taking pictures of me with my mouth open, and she's like, ah, I got you, you know? And what's, what's really funny, though, is that um, my, my youngest daughter, she just turned five in, in April, uh, one of the things that she discussed with us before, <laughs> before her birthday was that um, once she got to be five, she didn't want to take naps anymore. She was like, okay, once I hit five, I'm done, you know? And so me and my wife, we kind of softly agreed, and we're like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll consider it. And... Soon as she hit five, I'm like, my goodness, six o'clock, she is bouncing off the walls. And we're like, yeah, this, this little thing is, is, is not going to work. <laughs> You're going to have to take a nap. And what God does with his sheep, the first thing he does after stating that he is shepherd, he makes me lie down. He puts you on all fours. It's literally what this word means, to put on all fours to cause to lie down. We have a natural bent to keep moving, to keep toiling, to keep striving. And God is saying that this restlessness comes about as a result of you trying to undertake the responsibility to shepherd your own life in your own way. And God often invites us into this rest. But you know what we do? Oh, I got it. I got to hustle. And so what God has to do sometimes is he has to induce this rest. He has to make you stop. And sometimes he does this by way of making things extremely difficult for you to continue. Maybe even impossible for you to continue. As much as you want to run through the warning signs, God is saying, I need you to slow down. I need you to stop. I need you to get rest. And so a question at this point where are you dead set on continuing despite the warning signs that God is saying for you to stop? Consider the obstacles that you have as an opportunity for examination where God may be trying to induce rest where you are trying to continue when God is saying you need to stop. Now, it's more than just stopping because God's rest is purposeful, right? 
He makes us lie down in green pastures, meaning that there is some kind of nourishment that we're getting that's necessary for our souls. And not only that, he leads us beside still waters. The rough waters are difficult for the sheep to drink from. And so he wants to put us in this place where there's relative calm, where we're able to to, to take in, to, to have an intake of nutrients that's necessary for us. And so this next slide, it says that God's rest, what does it look like? Well, God's rest isn't an escape to entertain ourselves. Rather, it is a sacred time where we detach ourselves from our routines to enter into his presence, to listen for and attend to his voice. So what I want to be clear this morning is that the rest that I'm talking about is not just you taking a vacation and you're entertaining yourself, but it's really a time where your soul is placed before God and you're listening for his voice and you're attending to his voice and to what he's saying to your soul. Some of you guys may have gone on vacations and you come back more exhausted than when you left and you wonder why. And this is what I'm saying, that it's not this thing where you're just kind of entertaining yourself, but God is concerned with you laying in a place before him where he is the one that actually is nourishing your soul. You know my needs better than I do. The shepherd does. Point number three. Next slide. The shepherd gives life back to my depleted soul. Verse three says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Recently, my daughter and I got into making these little plushy animals. You cut a sock in half and... You kind of sew it up and put some, uh, some plush in it. And we got into watching these videos on, um, on YouTube on how to do this. And there was a lady that actually started a business out of it where people would send in these dilapidated, um, you know, teddy bears or just whatever. And, you know, their arms are like stretched out, their tears and the eyes are like bulging out and stuff. And she restores these plushies and... You know, you, you should see the videos of these people when they get them back. It's like, you know, they start bawling like, ah, you know, you know, because these things have sentimental value, right? And this sense of being restored is what God is talking about, that he breathes new life out of, uh, into worn and battered and parched souls. And the thing that I find interesting is that we often don't even know how malnourished our souls are until we stop. Until we get into the presence of God, we really don't know how dry we are. And the reason we don't know is because we don't stop. We want to keep moving. We think that movement is progress. And the other reason is because we also find our satisfaction elsewhere. The signs of our malnourishment is where we go to actually get fulfillment, our deepest fulfillment. And one of the unfortunate realities is that we often find satisfaction elsewhere in distractions rather than in the presence of God. And really, as a people, we would go to God more if we really felt, if our hearts really truly experienced deep and lasting satisfaction where God is, we would go there. But quite often, we get caught up with the distractions and what the distractions provide. But when God has truly become our treasure, people, we can't get enough. We, we, we can't wait to get back to where God is. 
We want to keep going back to that place. Just like a restaurant, if you really truly like the food, nothing is going to keep you away from there. You want to keep going back. Or does your soul say, well, yeah, I just don't have time for it. We always make time for what we value. We always make time for what we value. Somebody would have come today and say, hey, I got two tickets to go to Disney right now. Okay, you're going to make the accommodations, get babysitting, all just like that. God has something to offer. And he restores. But it's because we're so consumed with our distractions that we often miss out on the restoration that God has to provide for us. He gives life back to the soul that has lost it. And the next slide on God's restoration is it's in this sacred place of rest and stillness before God that we truly become aware of how parched our souls are and he restores us. It's in this that God reveals to us how dry we are. Like we're running on fumes, people. We're running on fumes. And God is saying, I can restore you. I can provide you with what you need in this stillness. You give life back to my depleted soul. And he continues, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, that our walking in righteousness is really for his sake. Our, the purpose of our right walking is to say something about him. It has nothing to do with us. We can't take any credit for it. And I pray that as a people of God that we glory more in the statement that God is making about himself in leading us in paths of righteousness than what it says about us. And so point number four, your presence is ever with me and sustains me even in my darkest seasons. Your presence is with me and sustains me even in my darkest seasons. Look at verse four. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Hopefully you caught that, even though, even though, because up to this point, God has been the one that's been leading Right? Verse 1 says, he is the shepherd. He's my shepherd. Verse 2 says, he makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. And verse 3 says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. And so now it says in verse 4, even though I. So what that's saying is that even though you didn't lead me to a particular area, even though my feet may wander off the path, even though I decide to take leadership and go in my own direction to places that I ought not be, that you are still with me, that you are still with me, that I will fare no evil for you are with me, that the shepherd does not cancel us. God does not say, I'm done with you because our feet have wandered. God is with you. I don't know where you find yourself today what your valley of the shadow of death may be. Whether it be a situation that you've walked into or whether it be something that has just happened to you. But regardless, yes, there will be periods of doubt. Yes, there will be periods of unanswered prayers or there will be situations where God answers prayers in a way that we don't desire. There will be seasons where it feels like God is pulling away, that he is distant. There may be times where you are feeling hurt or abandoned by God. 
And the sting of existence in this world may be too painful and too overwhelming. Even in that very space, God is saying, even there, I am with you. I can meet you there like no other. That there is no pain that's too deep that can prevent my presence from being able to enter into that space. Even though the walls of bitterness and resentment may be thick and they're building up in your heart, they can't bar the entry of God's presence. That there is no pain that's outside of my jurisdiction of being able to enter. That your pain doesn't override or dictate my presence. God is not unfamiliar with pain and the messiness of life. God deals with that. God specializes with that. And it's through him taking on human flesh that he can say, I understand what you are going through and that I can meet you there in the valley of the shadow of death, even though that may be a place that you've walked into on your own volition. Your presence is ever with me and sustains me even in my darkest seasons. And not only does God do that, but he works in such a way as to cause our hearts to not be overcome by overwhelming fear. And he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are two items that shepherds have. The rod, if you're familiar with that, is used for not only for fighting off opposition, but it's also used as a punishment tool. And the staff is used for support. And so the message simply meaning that there are times in our lives when we need to be disciplined as sheep. But there are also times where we need to be supported. And that's when God uses his staff to undergird us and to keep us from falling. Next point, number five. You publicly affirm and lavish your love toward me. Look at verse five. You prepare for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. God is making a public declaration. He's broadcasting his provision and his fellowship with me amidst a hostile environment. Like, really? Like God is showing out here, right? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So my enemies are looking at this and God is engaging in fellowship with the ones that he loves. The threat is no longer viable because God is present and he's making a public declaration and an affirmation of his love for his sheep. So much so that there is an abundance and he says that you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. This is a picture of the abundance that God makes, this lavish love that he makes public before the presence of enemies. You're unashamed of me, that you publicly affirm and lavish your love on those who you're in intimate relationship with. And finally, verse 6. Your relentless love convinces me of your unwavering commitment. Your relentless love convinces of your unwavering commitment. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house 
of the Lord forever. What David is saying in this verse is that I'm confident. I'm confident in your track record. You give me what I don't deserve. You give me goodness. And you don't give me what I do deserve. You give me mercy. What else can I expect? Surely, the conclusion is surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If you can be the type of shepherd that gives me my deepest longings, that you satisfy my deepest longings, that you know my needs better than I do, that you give me life, you you cause me to lay down and you give me life in your presence. You give life back to this depleted soul. If your presence is ever with me, even when I make mistakes, even when I wander off and I get myself in situations that I shouldn't be in, that you still promise to be with me. If you publicly affirm your love for me in the presence of my enemies, that you're not ashamed of me, your relentless love that chases me, that follows after me, that leads me, surely goodness and mercy. Like, what other conclusion is there? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And finally, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where else can you go to get this kind of treatment? Where else can I go? I can't go anywhere else to get this. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Micah chapter 7 verse 18 says, Who is like you, God, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. It's God's delight to be steadfast in his love. Think about that. Like it's a delight for God to give love to his own. He will again have compassion on us. He will not tread on our, he will tread on our iniquities underfoot. Iniquities is what keeps us from relationship with God. You will cast out our sins into the depth of the sea. God desires relationship. God desires relationship. Has God gained your trust? Has God gained your trust? Not only for the by and by eternity stuff, because it's easy to, to picture a better life, right, in the future, and we, we, we trust God with the stuff that we don't know is going to happen in the future. But what about for the here and now? Our application is simply this. How does your life reflect it? How does your life reflect that you trust God, not just for the eternal stuff, but for the here and now stuff? Because when life doesn't go our way, we want to grab the wheel, right? We want to take control. We want to seize as much control as we can. And if there's one thing that Psalm 23 is saying is that I need you to be dependent on me. I need you to be dependent on me. I know you want to grab the wheel. I know you want to take control. I know you want to work out things so that it suits your own comforts. But God is saying, I am the shepherd. I know your needs better than you do. I know you need to be restored. Your feet are wandering.
John chapter 10, verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. And he says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the extent to which God would go to demonstrate his love for each and every one of us. Are we persuaded of that deep love that he has for us? And if we are, then there's something in the way that we live that should reflect this truth that I am depending on God for everything, even when things don't go the way that I want for life to go. Even when life does not operate according to my preferences, our lives should communicate in the way that we live that we trust him, not only for eternity, but for the here and now. I'd like for us to allow God to search our hearts in this moment before we take communion as to how our hearts reflect, how our hearts and our lives reflect this truth of dependence on God. Where have I been seeking to grasp control Where has God been telling me to sit in his presence and rest? Where am I finding my satisfactions? Where's my heart going to? What's my heart gravitating toward? What is it that's feeding my soul? What am I driven by? That truly, that our lives would reflect that we relate to God truly as shepherd over our lives. Let's take a brief moment, and then we'll take communion.